0: Get ready for a little surf and turf action on Midnight Run Through, a podcast miniseries devoted to celebrating the 1988 contemporary classic action buddy comedy, Midnight Run, written by George Gallo and directed by Martin Brest. Co-hosted by me, One Heat Minute Productions' Blake Howard.
1: And me, Jen Johans from Watch With Jen.
0: Each week, we'll explore the film we first bonded over when we became friends in 2019 by surfing through an incredible roster of guests from journalists to novelists and beyond who love it as much as we do. Digging into Serrano's finances and Alonzo Mosley's FBI files, come with us on Midnight Run-Through as we crisscross the United States with the characters played by Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin, John Ashton, Yafet Koto, Dennis Farina, Philip Baker-Hall, Joe Pantoliano, and company on screen. Today our guests are.
2: Hi, my name is Peter Avellino. I write the film blog, Mr. Peel's Sardine Liqueur, and I can be found on Twitter at Peter A. Peel.
3: Hi, my name is Nell Minow, and I'm the Movie Mom. You can find me at moviemom.com, also at rogerebert.com, where I'm a contributing editor.
0: But before we go any further, let's kick things off with Jack Welch's old turf with the ultimate question.
1: Why were you so unpopular with the Chicago Police Department? <laughs>
3: well i had a run-in with a drug dealer there it's a long story
0: okay well we've got some time to talk about it
3: but i am from chicago so you're probably right that i am
0: on- <laughs> <laughs> popular. you're on the watch list
2: i love this movie i was watching it again last night and watching it again i've seen it many times obviously it caught me in a mood that almost made me melancholy how we used to get movies like this and we don't anymore. And this was, if not a perfect version of that sort of form, it comes pretty close. Mm. You know, these two great actors who are just these opposites in their energy coming together and it becomes magic, which wouldn't always be the case, but in this case they go together together beautifully and it's just this combination of comedy and drama and action that you know in road movie obviously that makes it all come together so beautifully and it gets the tones just right you, you could imagine a version of this movie and I'm sure there are versions of this movie that are too funny or oh, try to be too funny or try to focus way too much on the action it's like this one, everything seems right in how it combines all of these elements. When Groden has to be serious, when he's com- confronted by Dennis Farina near the end, it's a dead serious moment for both of the actors. Even for Farina, who some years later, we associate him with this sort of get shorty persona, which he would do in other movies. But in this one, except for a few lines, to Philip Baker Hall, which are memorable. <laughs> He's, it's an extremely serious presence that he has. It's a believable threat to Grodin because we don't want to hurt Charles Grodin. Nobody does. He does. We We believe it. Mm-hmm. We believe it. So I'm finally in the presence of greatness, huh? the Duke. The guy that steals money from the scum of the earth and gives it to the unfortunates of the world. I wanted to meet you face to face. Did you actually think that you were going to steal my money and get away with it? I stopped by here to tell you two things.
1: Number one is that you're going to die tonight.
2: Number two, to go home have a nice hot meal i'm gonna find your wife and i'm gonna kill her too it feels like one of the best versions we ever got of charles groden as screen persona you know that acerbic quality he would bring to talk shows and other movies and it's this great part for him and If I can mention De Niro for a moment, um, watching it reminded me that up until this point, a lot of the films that De Niro made were sort of, you know, attempts at big epic type ideas with Scorsese, with Chimino, with Leon. And because a few of those maybe underperformed in the early 80s, there were a few years with, uh, there were kind of extended cameos, Brazil,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. commercially the untouchables was the big success of that and everyone loved him in the untouchables and this was almost this follow-up and for the first time de niro was it wasn't the first time de niro was seen as somebody likable but it was like the first time de niro was being seen as this uncomplicated movie star persona and i think people love him in this movie i love him in this movie Mm -hmm. i adore him in this movie so much Fun to watch he's likable we want him to succeed and get that coffee shop and <laughs> yes
0: sometimes we're
2: in despite his the now.
0: despite the advice from his financial advisor charles exactly. groden's the duke who says that, <laughs> how many restaurants fail in their first year and want to give him the stats don't tell me the odds i don't want to know
2: <laughs> we want that coffee shop to succeed we never yes. see it but we want it to succeed yeah yes
0: now Please tell us about your relationship with Midnight Run.
3: Well, I don't wanna get my relationship with Peter off to a bad start, but I'm gonna argue that this isn't in fact a perfect movie. There are a lot of great movies in the world, but there are very few perfect movies that do exactly what they're trying to do and they do it so well. I am a structuralist. And it's very important to me that a movie be structured well. And this movie, which is episodic in a way, because we see a lot of people in this movie that we never see again.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, Yeah. Still, each scene builds on all of the others. And we will have some time to talk about Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro. I think Peter handled that beautifully. But I want to say something about the fact that every single person in this movie is perfectly cast,
1: <laughs> yeah. and you yeah. have
3: a lot of people that we've seen in roles that are not that exciting. Like John Ashton, uh, mm-hmm. really comes into his own so beautifully with the character of Marvin, who is uh, sort of a, a not nearly as smart as he thinks he is. This <laughs> that and of course you know there are these wonderful memorable scenes the litmus configuration scene and you know the <laughs> sort of set pieces uh, but and the, and the scenes with the the bail bondsman joe Pantoliano. but the one that i keep coming back to is when robert de niro goes to see his ex-wife and the young daughter that he hasn't seen in quite a long time that scene could be a short film in and of itself, we know everything about those relationships. And the moment when his daughter wants to give her him her her money for you know her little bit of money that she's that she's saved.
0: Wait. Isn't much about a hundred and eighty dollars babysitting money. Oh, sweetheart, I can't. I can't. Please.
1: I can't, can't sweet on.
3: You know that is incredibly powerful. and yet, It's a wonderful scene. It doesn't kick us out of the story at all. It continues to move the story forward in terms of his relationship with Charles Grodin and in terms of his growing understanding of the choices he's made in his life and what he wants to do differently in the future. So I think it is uh, really a a rare, perfect movie in that it accomplishes everything that it tried to do and every single scene builds on the one before it
1: uh, just beautifully.
0: It is so funny, Jen, how many times that scene has come up in this show.
1: Yes. I think it makes the movie. Yeah.
2: If we were to do some sort of Twitter list of like favorite De moments, and I'm sure somebody's mentioned this. Probably one of mine would be the bit where he says to her, Are you in the eighth grade? Yeah. The
1: eighth grade. It's the <laughs> yeah. best part. It's of like that. this believably
2: yeah. desperately clumsy attempt to try to keep conversation going with someone he doesn't. Know
3: as much as he wants to, yeah. and and to, and, and to reassure does. her that he's not the guy she's seeing right this minute, who is desperate and a mess. Yeah, <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, he's trying to normalize that moment in a, yes. in a in such a touching way.
0: And absolutely, it's, it's the poles. It's it's where he goes with the character of Jack. Now, which I want to touch on, which I th- I love how you put it. It's like structurally perfect. Is because Jack in the beginning watch him get shot at and he's like yeah it just is what it is he doesn't tell the cops doesn't get the doesn't get his mark in more trouble did he give you any trouble no he's fine you know just fairness is there and then one of my favorite moments of any de niro any de niro moment which is a huge call but it's when yafet koto's alonzo Mosley is talking to him and he just starts going like this (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) it's on the scene and and isn't yafet koto wonderful in the movie
3: well, one of my favorite De Niro moments, because as we said, this is a departure from for him where we're used to seeing this incredible intensity, is this conversation about the chickens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're just not <laughs> expecting Robert De Niro to say, well, there are a couple of chickens back there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm taking a shot at, yeah.
3: <laughs> and so that's us enjoying Robert De Niro the same way that the Duke is enjoying jack that he been putting up a little bit and uh and I, I just love that
1: brought up all of the bit players and everybody being perfect and i love it like even you know people that you never see again like the woman who this isn't your name or you know she recognizes that or you know you talked about the litmus configuration and you oh. know is your name red and you know like <laughs> everybody in every scene is great do you have any uh favorites
3: well, I do love red. Um yes. and, and I and, and the way that, that he responds. I love the chorizo and eggs um yes. waitress. <laughs> and can we now just sort of cross cross the aisle a little bit and talk about the people that uh Dennis Farina surrounds himself with? Oh uh, because yeah. Philip Baker Hall, who's a joy in any movie, always thrilled to see him. Uh and he is just perfect as the mob lawyer you just know that that's exactly what mob lawyers are that they feel like they have to speak up and say um and then when uh the boss says uh, go have a sandwich watch a movie have a glass of milk you know, <laughs> Do uh, some uh, yeah you say, okay i'm gonna i'm gonna duck out now but everybody he surrounds himself with and that includes the two heavies that he sends uh after uh after jack
2: yeah is this moron number one Put more on number 2 on the phone. Yeah, Jimmy, he's uh, right here. Hold on. He's pissed.
3: Put more on number 2. I I love him because you know everything about him by the fact that when he's just standing there, he has to do a little bit of a punchy thing. (laughs) (laughs) somebody who does what he's told. He doesn't think at all, as we know, because Moron number 1 at least can recognize the name of the hotel on the towels.
2: I remember in college a couple of years after this movie came out, hearing people I didn't know out of nowhere quoting Farina talking to Philip Baker Hall. Yeah, like at parties and stuff, and it was like like the first indication I had then that this movie was going to have a long tail that people were quoting that dialogue, and I would just I would because I mentioned it the last time Jen and I talked about this movie, I would also mention the, the Teresa and ex waitress who is one of my favorite it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, <laughs> I love the yeah. way she says fifty three cents a couple of times, I just yeah. love her interaction with Groden. <laughs> How
1: much money do we have left? That's it? That's it. We're starving and you're buying cigarettes. I need these cigarettes. You can have your whatever you're gonna have, I'll have this. What can I do for you boys? Coffee, please.
2: How much is the coffee?
1: It's 53 cents.
2: How much is tea? 53
1: cents. Okay, and our breakfast special today is chorizo and eggs. Chorizo and eggs? Chorizo and Cherezo eggs. And yes. What is that? Please? It's a Mexican sausage mixed in with scrambled eggs and it comes with hash browns and toast.
0: I won't be having that. Thank you. <laughs> the tea. I, I love how he says yes, it. I love how he
2: says it. Or he says, I'll have tea.
0: And, and, and he whispers it. He goes, I'll oh, have tea.
3: Yes. <laughs> What's so great about that? Well, two, th- 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 let me say a couple things about that scene. One is... I 100% believe that that is a waitress who has been in that job her entire life. Yes. Uh, that is, that is what I, you know, a non-acty acting job. She, uh-huh. she, you really believe that they just happened to find her at a diner there and put her in that role. And she's just got that, that friendliness, uh, that sort of bland friendliness that whoever comes in is going to get. Uh, and, the difference between Jack, uh, who has no problem making a decision about what he wants and and the Duke who who considers it for, show, I want coffee? Don't want to, he is somebody, I mean, <laughs> you, that tells us a lot about the two of them because he is somebody who thinks about his decisions, whether he's thinking about ratting out the mob or whether he's thinking about whether to tell jack that he's got a money belt on whatever he's thinking he is thinking all the time and so he is somebody who is giving her the courtesy of considering the option she's presented and what what his preference is and so you know i just i i do love that scene that's a great scene there are very few movies (laughs) like that where i say I'm just going to watch the first 50. I'm just going to watch until he captures it. I'm just going to watch. And, and then you end up watching the whole thing. And that that's one, the best years of our lives is another one where I said, I'm just yeah. going to watch until Hoagy Carmichael comes. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I just, I can't, I can't stop. A couple well, hours anyway, so, later. <laughs> to your point, like as you know, uh, cause I was talking to you about it before. My daughter's a costume designer in Hollywood and she will tell you as will the production designers and all the other people that work on movies that, If you get it wrong, everybody will notice it and will take you out of the movie. What you want is to get it right, not just so that you are helping to tell the story, but so that it doesn't distract anybody. And if that diner didn't look like a real diner, then we would all be going, wait a minute, that's a pretty fancy light fixture for a diner, you know, (laughs) and... And, and, and yeah, that is all done very, very well. Now, you guys may know more about this than I do, but my recollection is that nobody had very big expectations for this movie, and no. it ended up kind of accidentally being the big Christmas release for the studio, which had planned on something else, and that Marty Brest was quite young when he made it, right?
0: Yeah, he, he was young. In the industry, in town, um, Die Hard was scared of Midnight Run. Yeah, so pre the release of Die Hard, they were like, oh no, it's an action comedy from the guy who made Beverly Hills Cop with mm-hmm. Robert De Niro in an action comedic movie star role. Holy heck, you know, what's, what's poor moonlighting Bruce Willis going to do against Robert <laughs> De Niro. Um, <laughs> And so it made a modest amount of money. And like back in the day, things could underperform, but still make like $50 million, you know what I mean? Like it made money, um, but it certainly wasn't as the towering success of Die Hard um, was, but it made enough money. It then though was one of those first movies that cable in the States really picked up on and mm-hmm. it then gained, as you yes. were saying, Peter, in the colleges when people are quoting it, they're not quoting it just from the scream that people had at the theater and watching it maybe multiple Mm -mm. times for big fans. They were people who watched it on HBO like seven times a week because it was on there like 30 times. And, you know, any given time you turn on that channel, it's just there. Like at some point and you're like, Oh, the litmus configuration is coming up. I'm I'm just going to, I'm not going out just yet. I want to watch the litmus configuration or whatever (laughs) it is. It just. It. was one of those things that had an immediate leap from the theater's into people's homes and then lived and, lived and lived and lived and lived and lived for people who missed it. It was one of those first yeah. ones.
3: But if it yeah. wasn't a great movie, people would not keep watching it over oh, and over. Yeah, but it is a movie that you can watch over and over and enjoy every single time. Let's look I want to go back to the litmus configuration for a second. We talked about Red who again is oh. perfectly <laughs> good. you feel that he's been this small town bartender forever and that he knows everybody who comes into the bar and there are no surprises going on there. But what I wanted to focus on also in that scene is the way it plays so beautifully, the shifting understanding between our two main characters. Yeah. It's to to go back to Beverly Hills Cop, it's a little bit like the bar scene in Beverly Hills Cop where you see a new side of the other character. And- just to watch their eyes as they see each other. And as Robert De Niro enters into the fantasy of the counterfeit bills uh, and backs him up, uh, Mm -hmm. that's such an important moment in their relationship.
0: We'll be back after this quick break.
3: Another transitional moment is uh when uh jack reintegrates his cop self when he's talking to at Kodo yes. and says so, you know you know we could probably charge him with this right and we could you know and and you can just see that if he hadn't had that experience if he hadn't had this journey um he he would have lost that part of himself but because mm-hmm. of all that has happened over the course of the last couple of days He is ready to reclaim that, a part of himself that he really values. Yeah,
0: and he's he's ready to improvise.
2: It's an extremely good movie when it comes to information like that, whether it has to do with the plot or character. You could imagine another version of this movie cutting out the moment you just mentioned because they just wanted to get to the action. Yes, This movie balances out the action and the characterizations and the information we need to know about Serrano and the discs and Grodin and all that other stuff. It's like, what do we need to know to follow the plot? And the movie doles it out expertly, every step along the way.
3: And the scene that you mentioned is also very important in that way, because we've heard about Serrano and yeah, maybe he's a bad guy, but we really see...
0: Mm-hmm. what a terrible
3: person he is because mm-hmm. not only is he saying to the duke i'm gonna kill you he's gonna say i'm gonna kill everybody in your family and then i'm gonna have a sandwich and i'm gonna be just fine with yeah. it and it's gonna bother me and you really that you really believe it <laughs> makes us know yeah. how important this is to get to get him taken care of now you uh just mentioned the action and i want to uh argue that um action in this movie is as good as any action ever was yeah. you know, that, yeah. that's not a throwaway either the helicopter scene is amazing it's still one of my all time favorites yes. and even though there's some humor in some of the action um, I think that you know they didn't shortchange those that part of it at all
2: And and crazily apparently they went to New Zealand to shoot some of that stuff they yeah. went to New Zealand for the rapids which seems nuts but it happened
3: because it's mm-hmm. not like we don't have rabbits.
2: Here. Uh, apparently, the yeah. water was too cold, in and they wanted to yeah. find somewhere where it was warm. The, the scene is about a <laughs> minute long, so it seems <laughs> like a lot of effort. But nevertheless, Grodin writes all about going to New Zealand yeah. in, in his auto. That's I was, amazing. In his autobiography, yeah.
3: Well, so right when the movie begins, and uh, we learn the following things about Jack, we learn he's really good at what he does. He's very good at finding the Duke, which nobody else has been able to do. He's got a very clever way of going about that. But then when he's actually in the apartment, he's he's in the shower. (laughs) He's, He's behind the shower door. So we know that introduces us to what kind of a movie we're going to be in. It's a movie where there is some genuine police type law enforcement type action, but there's a sense of humor about it, too. Uh, you know, he's a guy that can get barked at by a scary dog, but he's not going to let go. And, um, and, uh, he's going to get his he's going to get his man.
0: I I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I've heard many people talk about it in the love of this movie. Well, before I started this project, and I'm not sure if we've talked about it on an episode yet, but in every movie that a car gets stolen, it happens so fast in other movies. Like someone just goes and things happen. but in Midnight Run, like things happen and Jack does things in the car that I've never seen anyone do before, both car under the stuff. hood and then in there, and then he starts the car and it's like, you actually start to go, wait, I've seen this scene in maybe 150 movies before. It takes but, five seconds. Yep. But maybe this is the only one where Robert De Niro actually hotwired a car. Like, so, <laughs> like maybe this is the only one that had ever happened where the actor hotwired the car for the film you know it's right I, I always think of that touch as well it's like for all its patent ridiculousness and fun and then as you said the tonal shifts and how perfectly they complement each other I'm like yeah, he, he gets into that car like that's amazing
3: <laughs> I I completely agree I also want to say a word for the score yes
0: which yeah. I think is it's
3: excellent. a great score
1: it's a dynamite yeah. score
3: it has a it has a bit of a grindy western feel to it yeah that twang to it and uh and that that i think perfectly matches the tone of the movie um so i just wanted to call that out as being uh, just perfectly perfectly composed for that film and i also want to say one thing that surprises me every time i see the movie i forget how tall charles grodin is because i think (laughs) yes As being this kind of schlubby guy, but he's, but when they're walking together, you see that he's really quite tall and, um, and that, that just makes me think of him differently.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And he he always hunches. He's always hunched. Yes, he
2: does. It's a dynamite score and it's the sort of score that I don't think Danny Elfman ever did anything else like it. Which is weird because I know I've heard scores in some movie before that are clearly trying to rip this off. Mm-hmm. to get a similar kind of feel. It's an upbeat kind of score that we don't get mm-hmm. anymore when they all sound like Hans Zimmer stuff. Yeah. Um, it's just, it brings this tone to the movie that, you know, is perfect. Mm-hmm. Yes. It really is. And, you know, I was thinking about this... Um, I was A movie came to mind that I hadn't seen in like 20 years that was clearly trying to use music like this. And I was clearly um, trying to do a Midnight Run kind of thing. And I hadn't thought about it in a long time. And I looked it up, and I realized that it was a movie directed by George Gallo. And it was a movie that was trying to do Midnight Run and really wasn't. Mm-hmm. It's. It's a case where you can't just snap your fingers. All the elements have to be in place. It's Gallo, it's Breast, it's De Niro, it's Grodin, it's Elfman. It's all those other supporting yeah. actors. I was, um, I, I remembered, um, if I can talk about this, I remembered the writer Dan Harmon who did Community. He used to have this Tumblr page where he would write stuff. And for some reason, in the back of my head, and I looked it up, he once wrote about me meeting George Gallo like ten years ago. And to just gushed to him about Midnight Run, and Gallo gave him some behind-the-scenes tidbits on Midnight Run. And one thing he told him was that the scene in the bus where De Niro is smoking, mm-hmm. and they talk mm-hmm. about the smoke, and it ends with um, Grodin again saying, why aren't you? Why aren't you popular at the Chicago Police Department? What Gallo told Harmon was that this was just a sort of warm-up take. Oh. They, weren't, they, they weren't really getting to the real takes yet. They were just doing a warm up take where they were really just running their lines at that point. And when the scene ends with Grodin saying, Why are you so unpopular? The Chicago the police department. Grodin was really just starting the scene again from the top. Hmm. So, in editing, whichever, there are three editors credited, whichever editor it was like, found this piece of footage and turned that into the like even more of a runner than it already wow. was. And like, their 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 interplay in that moment is relaxed.
1: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it just
2: they found this piece of footage that works so well. There's mm-hmm. even a mm-hmm. the desert chase mm-hmm. where all the all the police cars have crashed throughout the desert. And there's an overhead shot from a helicopter of all the cars. Cut to Yafakoto in his helicopter. Mm-hmm. Cut to John Ashton in his car tracking the helicopter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I don't know if that's in the script or if Brest had that planned or if some editor, one of the editors just made that connection and it works beautifully, but it's all these people working together are bringing this element of clarity to every single moment that is making it the best film it can possibly be. Yeah. brilliant. And watching it again the past couple of nights, all these things are jumping out in this level of craft. Mm-hmm. that just seems kind of miraculous now yeah absolutely beautiful it's, it's,
3: it's that is pure movie magic i love yeah. the idea that that uh that going around to the beginning of the dialogue made it into something even more precious yeah. and i mm-hmm. do love the rapport between them and that scene where it's almost they're just sort of joking with each other
1: Mm-hmm. I mean,
3: there's an intimacy there that is uh, that is just
0: great the Absolutely. the underrated genius of an editor <clears throat> excuse yeah, me yes. to, to guide a director and go mm-hmm. i know what you want but this there is something here on this take it right yeah. in the pre-roll there's something here please. it's just yeah. something that cuts through all of the artificiality it just gets it Yeah, yes. I, I think um
1: Fresh eyes, you need that. Yeah. Because you if it's just you, you're not gonna see it. Well, it's yep. a
3: little bit of, of a forest and a trees thing too. Yeah. You know, when you're shooting, you're so focused on each little individual moment. But yes. when you step back from it
0: mm-hmm. and you have a
3: sense of the rhythm and of it's it's very easy when you're working on it moment by moment to forget what the audience knows and what they need to know. But the editor, the really good editors, that's what they keep foremost in their minds. And and yeah, they just really do miracles.
0: This movie is so, the more that we talk about it now, I'm like, there are so many movies that took that, and, and so many powerhouse filmmakers who've, who clearly love Midnight Run, even if they've never said out loud that I love Midnight Run. Like obviously the most famous one is Paul Thomas Anderson, who went and made a movie that was titled Sydney before it was retitled Heart 8 with mm-hmm. philip baker hall as this character as this you know t- as a sort of mob lawyer and he, he's always said it's like a sister movie a sister sequel in like an alternate universe where you know sydney's not just a mob lawyer and an advisor he's also a gambler and maybe he rolled out into being a gambler after the crash of the serrano crime family at the end of midnight run or something whatever he's done in his math he's done in his head but like i think of the the get shorties and i think of the snatches and i think of anything later that had and i think of out of sight with dennis farina who plays his humor and impeccable comedic timing to perfection and 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 i just think about all these things and i'm just like everyone is really there's they're all trying you know even um i can't even remember what the movie's called now it had like robert um, it had like Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis and it was a road movie and it was kind of halfway between Dude Midnight dates. Run. Yes, Dude due dates. Halfway between kind of Midnight Run and uh, um, uh, like tra- Planes, Trains and Automobiles sort of was the kind of vibe that it was going for. And I look at all these movies and I'm like, they're all just reaching the Midnight Run and they can't like I don't for whatever reason, as you said, Pete, there is an alchemy to ingredients. You can make the same meal and it tastes different if you use, you know, but it's about when do you put this in and how do you do this part of it? And how do you do this part? Of it and was it seasoned in the right way? And did you give it that time to kind of percolate and do its thing? Um. But yeah, it, they're all reaching for this movie in such either overt or, you know, covert ways. I think of the ones
3: you mentioned, the ones that come closest is, is get shorty, which I do yeah. love. And once again, get mm-hmm. shorty every single person who is on screen whether it's for 30 seconds or five minutes is perfect yes i mean yeah, everyone. Hackman, a supporting role yeah wow and 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 james gandolfini a yeah. supporting role but what a what a great movie again just just like Mora on number one and Mora on number two there's nothing funnier than somebody who thinks he's smarter than he is yeah. <laughs>
2: You you mentioned the box office earlier. And if we we looked at the numbers, it probably did less than we think. And even at the time, the movie felt to me in my head as a kid, like a bigger hit than it really was. Uh I know I saw it multiple times when it came out. And I remember the first time I saw it was a packed house at night. And we probably all have these memories of things in movie theaters that were one of the biggest laughs we've ever heard. And I have one of those memories with Midnight Run and you probably wouldn't even guess which moment it was, but it was the head shake De Niro does after he shouts over the phone that he's going to dump the road. <laughs> <in. laughs> he does the head shake and the roof caves in. Oh my god! It was like a bomb went off. and That is one of those moments that sticks with me about this film that makes it seem like it was bigger at the time than it really was. But the yes. laugh really was that big the two-part question we'll never have an answer to is would it ha- would it have done better with robin williams and would we be talking about it right now oh
1: that's if it question. had robin
2: williams Interesting.
1: yeah yeah you don't know
2: i'll yeah. take rodin over robin williams oh yeah
1: i think so i think it might have um overpowered yeah mm-hmm. or tried tried to be funny when it didn't need to be funny i love robin williams but oh, yeah. sure, sure yeah. Yeah. i love robin um, williams and i love him as a dramatic actor
3: as well as a comedian. But it, you could not improve Mm-mm. on
2: those two. No,
3: just, I, I
2: guess I guess it comes down to when I talked to Jen that time on that episode. Like, I I have I have a particular fondness for Grodin, and it almost makes the Grodin movies we have seem that much more special. There are not as many Grodin movies as there are Robin Williams movies, and I just respond yeah. to Grodin mm-hmm. so much in this and The Heartbreak Kid and certain other movies where he has smaller roles. Yes, and he's just.
0: The great, a, the great Muppet Caper.
2: Oh, yeah! Seems <laughs> like old times. Yes, all yes. of them, and he's just such a good actor in general. I was watching Rosemary's Baby the other day. He's excellent yeah. in- too, and he just whether it's the whether it's the funny stuff in Midnight Run or the serious stuff, he nails it. Mm-hmm. He nails it. Uh, yeah, nails I totally it. believe
3: him as somebody who would stand up to somebody that he didn't think yeah. was a Mm-hmm. so you know the idea of an accountant as the hero is not something we see
1: very often in movies
3: <laughs> and nor and... should we
0: nor should we know. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it actually came a kernel of truth a, a real case of a, an accountant who didn't know he was like laundering for uh, the mob yeah didn't know yeah yeah
3: well I hope he's still with us, but yeah, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, so that's part of the fun of the movie is that you have somebody, you tend to think of an accountant as being in kind of a yeah, persona mm-hmm. and that he has that moral core. We kind of like him right away from the beginning.
0: I just want to say, thank you. I think we've, I think we've done, yeah. um, it's been so fun traveling through this movie with you both it's it's such a, an amazing pleasure for jen and i to be on this journey together um and hear a whole bunch of different perspectives and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's it just makes me love this movie again and now I, you know that's if there's one hope that we have in any of the shows that both jen and i do it's like that people go back and watch the stuff we talk about and i i now i'm i'm now a victim of our own project because i'm like now i want to watch midnight run again i've watched it like <laughs> i've watched bits of it every day you know like just bits mm-hmm. and pieces throw a scene on here throw a clip on here but uh thank you so much Nell and peter for being a part of the show it's uh, it's been so watch so last i'll
2: watch it again right now
3: sure it really is one of my all-time favorite movies and it's so much fun to talk about thank you thank
0: you thank you this has been midnight run through with blake howard and jen johans we'll be back next week with another episode but until then see
1: you in the next life See you in the next life.